Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Hello, and welcome to another Wagon Wheel Podcast with Jared Kimber, who is me. I am him. All these sorts of things. Uh, let us uh, do what we always do. We'll start with the questions from the Patreon. Remember, if you want to support this show, uh, Patreon is probably the best way to do it. Um, this is a buy me a coffee. Or if you're listening to, uh, on a YouTube directly at the moment, you can also always do a super chat, which allows me to answer your questions. But anyone else is welcome to put questions in the YouTube and um, I'll get to them when I can. But Patreon is where we start. Ben says... Hi, Jared. As we know, not everyone in cricket wants their share of the sport to go uh, to diminish big three. Uh, If you were given complete control over cricket with the goal of getting more countries and people watching, playing exactly what would you do apart from Olympics? That's too easy. Yeah, I mean, Olympics is the first place that you would go. Um, uh, You know, the other thing is expanding World Cups. But really now, I think for cricket, the most obvious thing is leagues, right, of getting as many leagues uh, as possible out there. So let's say you're talking about international cricket rather than T20 cricket or anything else. You'd really be looking at having, you know, uh, Test Division 1, Test Division 2, Test Division 3. Uh, with T20 cricket as well, you know, expanding these sorts of things, coming up with other league ideas, um, having international cricket leagues perhaps as well, um, subsidizing leagues in different countries, um, all these sorts of things, you know, perhaps, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a country that might want to do this, but maybe, well, the West Indies could have had two separate CPLs in a year, right? They could have had one in in Canada uh, or America and one in uh, the West Indies. You know, there's plenty of different things you could do to subsidize these sorts of things and get players out there. The Olympics is the the most obvious one. But the other thing is just getting rid of, you know, the, I, I think one thing I've noticed, and you'd have to talk to more Andrew Nixon's, Bertus de Jong's, those sorts of people. Um, about this directly, but when you look at how many um, one days, sorry, well, T20s are being played now around the world by international teams, something as simple as as allowing any international team to play a T20 international, which is obvious. Why could they never not play in a T20 international? Was a huge, huge thing, and I think that certainly changed um, international cricket. I think for women and for men. 
you could do the same with test cricket and the same with ODIs. If you, you know, there, there shouldn't be eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 test playing nations. There should be as many test playing nations who want to play a four day or more Red Bull game. Um, there's absolutely no issue with that. If the only argument is that it would cloud up the stats, it's like it's that old argument about the you know the number one goal scorer in football for all those years was some Iranian that no one knew. The stats is nothing, it's absolute nonsense. And you hear that the stats is always brought up. That the people who are really worried about the stats being um, mixed up aren't the people who even use the stats, Because right? if you do, it's pretty easy just to go, okay, well we're just looking at the top fifteen ranked teams or the top ten ranked teams or the eight teams in division one or you know whatever it may be all these things are fairly fairly uh, fairly simple to do um but yeah i do think taking away that i think cricket's biggest issue and it was done on purpose it was done by people who like gentlemen's clubs was making cricket into a gentleman's club you know it was part of the england slash south african um mindset uh when they started the imperial cricket conference uh which meant that they could decide on who would be members and who wouldn't be and that has held back cricket as much. I, I'm not sure another any other sport has been held back more by what was a fairly small decision um, over a hundred years ago. I'm trying to think, I, I suppose that there's been some others in some other sports as well. But that is it's absolutely huge, and it's it was huge on two um, you know uh, points of view. The first is that if you are I don't know, let's say Argentina, America, or some of the other sports, Kenya, some of the other countries, Kenya, Denmark, whatever. Fiji, all these countries have been good at cricket at various times or have had good players or have had golden eras or whatever. But the reason that that cricket didn't develop in that country is they weren't playing it at the highest level. And I don't even mean they weren't playing it against the best teams because you don't necessarily need to do that. But playing a first-class game is just not the same as a test game. And it doesn't get people as excited and it shouldn't. It's an exclusionary thing. So if you want more people around the world to get more involved in cricket, the first thing to do is get rid of all this stupid status. If, if, you, if you're playing a five-day game or a four-day game with a red ball or a pink ball, et cetera, et cetera, following the ICC's basic playing conditions, it is a test match, right? If, if you're a nation versus nation, it is a test match, right? Or an international game. The idea that these aren't thought of as international games is idiotic and so many ways has cricket shot itself in the foot by coming up with these arbitrary rules. And for those who don't know, test cricket is, it's ridiculous. Anyway, there are plenty of test matches. Australia played New Zealand in, was it 1948, whenever that game was, um, 1949, 1946, 1946. I'll get it right eventually. I think that's right. Um, they played them in a game that they didn't consider a test match. All the early South African games weren't considered test matches. It's arbitrary anyway, right? So take that away, have it in divisions. It's fine. Manan says, cricket in Hindi is called Gol Gotam Lakad Di Dana Da. I mean, what? I mean, he, that's why it hasn't caught on. That's way too long. Um, are there any other different names like that for cricket in other countries and languages? I'm sure there are. I think there's certainly some words in... in can't do it like Osa um, that I've heard before. But yeah, I think a few different places have different names for cricket. But I think cricket is one of those words that, you know, it means cricket in other languages. Um, uh, I don't know what those are called. They've got a really cool name in, in um, linguistically. But, uh, but yeah, I think those sorts of words, you know, like schadenfreude and um, 
I'm trying to think of another one. <laughs> a lot of the French ones. Um, I think cricket's a bit more like that. But I, I mean, obviously, mo- you know, many different languages around the world have their own word for it as well. Bloody says, I didn't watch a single ball of the current um, Ahmedabad test. Um, I like how he said current. It does feel like it's still on, even though he would have sent this message definitely after that test match was finished. Objectively, how flat was the pitch? As broadcasters have Hawkeye data, could they create measurements to show how flat the pitch is? Yeah, you can certainly use the Hawkeye data for uh, to work out the pitches. Um, how flat was the pitch? It wasn't as bad as some of the ones we've seen uh, in Pakistan. But it was – I felt like it was one of those pitches that wasn't particularly good for batting or bowling. I almost think that in some cases these are worse. Um, and, and I say that based on the scoring rates as much as anything. Now, maybe that was a decision because Australia and India at different times did take decisions to shore up their scoring. But it did feel like it was one of those wickets that wasn't particularly good to bat on or bowl on. Um, but it wasn't the flattest pitch. Um, I think we, you know, comparing it to those Pakistan pitches, I don't think it was on that level um, of that. But yes, uh, you say the broadcasters have Hawkeye data. Well, the ICC has the Hawkeye data as well. Lots of people have the ability to be able to tell us, you know, what that is. You can also, if you ever want to know about this, and I I think it does it on a five over rolling basis, but the CrickViz um, app also tells you how easy a pitch is to bat on. Um, you know, and inconsistent bounce and a f- few other things, I think, as well on, on their on their free app. Um, so there's plenty of things available for you there to, to have a look at if you are ever interested in that sort of stuff. Uh, Gary says, what do you make of Ireland's chances of picking up a first win in their three upcoming tests in Ireland? Not good, Gary. Not good. I'm basing this on the fact that I don't think Ireland is particularly good at two things, batting against spin or bowling spin. I do like Andy McBride. I think he's up, you know, I, I think I've probably dedicated more resources to Andy McBride than anyone outside of Cricket Island has. But if he's your frontline spinner in Asia, I think that's a that's a real issue. Um, I, I don't mind him so much as a second spinner, actually, because I, I do think he's quite handy. But frontline spinner, he really, I, I don't think he's um, going to be able to keep enough pressure on. But the batting is the bigger issue. It's Andy McBride might actually do okay. I'm not sure who their second spinner even would be at the moment. Um, it's not great over there for Ireland spinners. But they can't play spin very well, and they haven't for a long time. Uh, uh, Andy Belburn, has been on this podcast a few times, so he'll probably send me a message later abusing me. But that's their big test for me, is how they handle their spin bowling. We saw in the World Cup, I thought they played fairly well in that World Cup, but Sri Lanka absolutely stung them in one game. And, you know, it's a fairly um, – I remember looking at one stage and Rashid Khan's uh, stats were absolutely padded by a bunch of Irish batters who couldn't hit him off the square. Now, obviously, Rashid Khan's next level. But there are – there's a pattern that you see with Irish cricket. So I don't expect them to do particularly well. They're a – team from uh, you know from europe where the grass is green and the ball swings around and everything else that's always been their strength and it's going to be their strength for a long time but we've seen with scotland scotland have two really interesting spinners coming through probably only hamza is the hamza tier is the first class spinner but they seem to be getting you know more quality spin than um than Ireland does. I'm just trying to think of Netherlands as well. And Netherlands have uh, the young kid from New Zealand coming through. And do they have a local spinner as well? I've got a feeling there was a local spinner who might be able to bowl as well. Obviously, with Peter Saylor um, retiring. But yeah, 
it does seem to be Ireland is particularly worse um, against spin, but I haven't had a look at their test numbers. So that is a lot more based on just seeing them as white ball team. I'm not sure if there is a hairier sport than cricket. From the early greats WG Grace and the demon Fred Spotheth onwards, cricket has always been Hasut, Boom, Gooch and Dev with their upper lip work. Shoab and Imran's incredible manes. Not to mention Lily's incredible chest rug. Our sport loves curated hair. And so does Manscaped. They just look after the bit that you can't see. So if you want a cricket-inspired downstairs pubic mustache, we can think of no item better than the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. Whether you're steaming in from the ladies' end or mounting a strenuous rear guard, always put your trust in Manscaped, who will look after your lower order. So go to manscaped.com and buy their kit with my red inker code, all one word, and get yourself 20% off and make yourself 20% sexier. Cameron says, do you think two balls above the shoulder per over limit is still needed in modern cricket? Yes, because I think it's probably needed more now than it's ever been needed before. And the reason being that we now know a lot about the, um, what's the best way of putting it? The yield on those balls. And so you're already seeing in one day cricket and in test cricket, a lot of bounces being bowled. And so what you don't want is to take that limit away and have that being, it's great if it's a second, sometimes third, sometimes even fourth string um, line of attack. It's not good if it's like literally, oh, the new ball's not doing anything. Let's just get a bunch of guys to hit the middle of the pitch for hours on end. I, I think, you know, it's with most of these things, you know, you want variety. The bigger problem, I think, comes in sport when you don't have variety. So, you know, that was that period where in basketball, everyone was either shooting at the rim or they were shooting uh, at three point. And then, of course, that allowed players to come back into the mid range. That was much better. There was a point where, you know, every baseballer was trying to hit a, a home run. You don't really want them all to hit home runs. You want the ball to be in play a little bit more, um, you know. And I think it's a bit the same. I, I think short pitch bowling is really exciting, obviously, and it's a really cool skill, and I love watching batters go up against it. But if I had to watch it for 30 overs um, out of every 80 overs, I think I'd start to go, it's no good here. Um, so, no, I think from from my perspective, I think the, the two balls above the shoulder limit is completely fine. Uh, Christopher says, what has had a bigger impact on the game, batting all-arounders or bowling all-arounders? So batting all-arounders have a bigger impact. And Christopher, if you go back and have a look at my. You're all lucky I found the mute button there. Um, I thought part of my brain had come out. Uh, what was I talking about? Christopher says, <clears throat> let's do this again. Christopher says, what have had a bigger impact on the game, batting all rounders or bowling all rounders? Am I just asking that question again to give myself a second? Yes, I am. If you go back to my video on. Uh, what was his name now? Uh, Ravi Jadeja from a couple of days ago that me and Cheyenne made. You will see that the reason that batting all-rounders have a bigger impact is a batting all-rounder allows you to pick five bowlers. And you then have a flexibility within your lineup. Also, you can then move that player down further. And that you know, if you wanted to, you know, you could even have players batting down as far as number eight with a batting all-rounder. A bowling all-rounder really just strengthens your tail a little bit. You know, if you have a great bowling all-rounder, well, then they're a great batting all-rounder, really. Or they're a genuine all-rounder. And so either way, you know, that's better. So what you really what you really want is someone who gives you a genuine fifth bowling option. And bowling all-rounders. So let's say Richard Hadley. 
who is and uh, uh, Richie Benno, they're both considered bowling all-rounders. And I, I'd have to look at their averages, but they probably average somewhere between 25 and 30 in their careers. That's really good at number eight, you know. And Okumble, you know, averaging, what, was, what did he average? 18, 19. Um, Shane Warne, you know, those sorts of players. They're really handy to have as a number eight where you know that they're not going to be steamrolled every innings and everything else. And, you know, even going up that next level. But they're, if you look at the different impact that Callis had on an 11 compared to Sean Pollock, that all comes down to the fact that Callis is allowing for an extra bowler to be in that team without losing anything in batting. If you're averaging, if you're a bowling all-rounder and you have to bat in, you know, eight, nine, ten, and or eight, I should say, um, and occasionally you can go up to seven, you don't give the same flexibility. So the real answer, I suppose, to that is the bigger impact that you have. Well, let me put that again. The real answer to that is that the bigger impact is the player who allows you to stretch your 11 so it's actually more like 12 players. So what you really want to be able to do as an all-rounder is allow for your team to have seven genuine uh, frontline batting talents and five genuine frontline bowling talents. That is the the, the best team. And generally, that is the batting all-rounders. So you would be looking then at Callis, Sobers, uh, Keith Miller, probably. And then you've got sort of the in-between players. You've got, obviously, Imran Khan becomes that player, but later in in Korea, Ian Botham was that player at times. Freddie Flintoff was that player at times. Shakib Hassan, Revy Jadeja, certainly have been those players. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Aubrey Faulkner was another one of those players. That's a big, big difference. Um, so you sort of, those players make the biggest impact. Uh, ben Stokes would be another one. And then you've got the sort of Jason Holder type all-rounders, um, the Richie Benno type all-rounders trying to think of some of the other players like that who are genuine frontline bowlers, but their batting is more handy. And then of course you have that in between um, sort of player. I, I want to say, um, if I got, is it Trevor Bailey? Maybe Brian McMillan would be another one. Um, although Brian, yeah, Brian McMillan is probably not a frontline bowler though, is he? Yeah. So Trevor Bailey, he averages 29 with the bat and 29 with the ball. So just hovering really, really handy and both. And there's a few, there's quite a few players like that in, in cricket, sort of your more, um, bits and pieces, but obviously high functioning bits and pieces type players, uh, when you go through, uh, from that sort of perspective, um, and and the, they that depends on what they can do. They have to be able to do one skill good enough that can keep them in the team. And then the other other kinds of all rounders. You go back to what we were talking about before. That sort of Mitchell Stark, Shane Warne uh, type of player. Maybe someone like Ashley Giles. Maybe fits into that. Uh, Graham Swan, Young Stuart Broad. Uh, and then on the other side of that, you have Steve War, Mark War, um, Chris Harris those sorts of players who pretty much frontline batters, but they can get through 10 overs, which allow you to rest players and rotate players and everyone else. And that's the, that's the kind of all-rounder we've seen less of, of recent times. But certainly if you go back to the 80s and 90s, that was, you know, that those sorts of players were a lot more prevalent at that point. Um, and we seem to have sort of disappeared from those sorts of recent times. I hope that ex- explains it, Christopher. It explains something. James said, how would you rate Tim Main the pantheon of Australian test off spinners? So, I mean, it's not a great pantheon, is it? Let's be honest. Um, I'm trying to think of who the, what was that? What's the, um, oh my God, the guy that uh, there was, 
the Australian off-spinner, Hugh Trumbull. That's the guy I'm looking for. So I had to Google his name because there's Hugh Tayfield as well. There's too many Hughes. Too many, too, too many Hugh um, finger spinners. Uh, so Hugh Trumbull was a fantastic player. I would say that he's probably, you know, because he was an early off-spinner, he probably did a little bit of everything like a lot of those bowlers did in those days. So I'm not sure if he's as traditional an off-spinner. Also, he bowled very, very early on in cricket. So he has fantastic numbers. But you do have to remember that that was, you know, it, that was in the era of uh, when we, before we had the uh, liquid manure on the pitches. And so you know, all the bowlers have pretty good records because they were hitting little pieces of shit when they bowled the ball down. You then have, I'm trying to think, you have a couple of other decent ones through there, but no one particularly special. Uh, then you have Ashley Mallett. Then you have Tim May. And obviously we have Nathan Lyon. I don't think there is that many others. So from that, well, Colin Miller is a really interesting one, depending on how you how you want to look at those sorts of things, only because Colin Miller ended up with a very good record, but obviously he sort of plays very, very late in his career from that perspective um, and gets dropped at the first sign of weakness, probably before he should have been dropped, all things considered. So um, I do think from that perspective, um, I thought he was more effective at test level than Tim May was, but Tim May bowled over a long period. So I think he's probably top five. I'm trying to think of who else I've forgotten in that. There's a, I think there's a couple of other off-spinners. They're really... There really hasn't been that many great Australian off spinners, though, which is that's what I mean. The Nathan Lyon goat comment comes from that, right? It's a bit of a piss take in the fact that Australia hasn't had many. I think Ashley Mallet, if Australian cricket wasn't as weird as it was in that era, I think Ashley Mallet probably plays a lot more. But uh, one of the reasons he wasn't as pushed as far forward is that they didn't really rate off spin. They, it's a it's a wrist spin country. It makes sense because wrist spin has put more overspin on the ball. Um, and in Australia, overspin is obviously going to be a huge advantage to any bowler. So it, it, it's not just that oh, offspin's crap, although we do think that in Australia. It's also that there is a uh, an environmental reason for that to be the case. But in Ashley Mallett's case, it wasn't just that. It was also that, you know, Kerry Packer and World Series cricket started to sort of dictate things at a certain point. And so Ashley Mallett wasn't even invited to World Series cricket because uh, Kerry Packer thought he was crap. Um and if he's not, I think he was a pretty good bowler when you look at his records, all things considered. Um, I don't think Tim May was quite at that level. So obviously you probably have Trumbull and, and Lyon, you know, one and two, probably Lyon number one, Trumbull number two. Um, and then I didn't see enough of Mallet to say he was better than Tim May. And then it also just depends on where you put in Colin Miller. But I think, he, I think, and I, I'm just trying to remember all the key off spinners off the top of my head. There was, you know, there's obviously a mystery, couple of mystery spinners in there as well, which do cloud things a little bit. But I would have thought that Tim May probably slips into the top five without too much problem. Patrick says, who, uh, who are your dark horse and unexpected collapse candidates for test teams in the next five years? Hmm. I think, so- I don't know if this is a dark horse. I mean, but I think South Africa is a really interesting one going forward because I do think they have batting talent, but they seem to not want to use it. Um, not using their young wicketkeeper at the moment is a bizarre choice, I would have thought. Um, my bigger issue is that they are very, they've got a lot of fast bowlers who are very talented who will continue to get better options overseas. And I wonder how many fast bowlers they can keep fit and active around the team if a couple of them decide to go 
full time into any of those leagues. And at the moment, that team is being carried by its fast bowling. And the other thing that it's car- and if it's not as fast bowling, it's also the the backup that it has is three really good spin options, but they're all older spin options. And you know, Maharaj is obviously battling battling an injury as as it is. We don't even know how strong he will come back from that particular one. But but I do believe from that perspective that that's a, that's a real issue going forward for them. So they would make sense. Pakistan's really interesting because they're, they're batting. There's something wrong with that 11. I think me and Bharat have done an episode chatting about it before and I did a, um, a video on it. it. There's something slightly off balance about the Pakistan team. So you could certainly see how that would be an issue. I, I think there's a really interesting one with Australia. Cummins isn't quite the bowler he was before. Now, if he'd stayed as the bowler he was before, he was his numbers were essentially, you know, Glenn McGrath, Curtly Ambrose, Joel Garner, like there should be some regression from that. But he just doesn't look quite as good as he was when I thought he was, you know, the modern evolution of bowling. That's an interesting thing to watch. Josh Hazelwood um, has a Achilles injury. Getting to an age where an Achilles injury is an inter- interesting thing to ha- have happen. I don't think Mitchell Stark is as good as he used to be. A big part of Australia's bowling has been having those three available to them um, all at the same time. You know, they, they were unlucky in some ways that Pattinson, that it should have been a big four bowling attack and they ended up having a big three. But the majority of the time, those three guys have been available to them. We're getting to a generation where that's not the case. I think Jai Richardson is fantastic, but I'm not sure we're ever going to see the best of him, um, you know, in a sort of Simon Jones-like uh, situation where it's just his body can't do what it's supposed to do. I think Lance Morris is interesting. Obviously, you've got Scotty Boland around. There's always, you know, a couple of bowlers like that in Australia, sort of, you know, tall and fast and skillful type guys. Um that can be handy. Uh, you've got Cameron Green is the big swing there, but that you know that there seems to be problems in the batting order and problems in the bowling order. Cameron Green can't make up for all of them, right? And if if a couple of injuries happen and you know they lose Cummins for a year or they lose Hazelwood for six months or Stark doesn't recover his old form completely, that's an interesting thing going forward. I think Australia, obviously New Zealand, I think we are all we kind of knew even coming in that they were on a bit of a slip and slide and they've probably lived up to that. I'm not sure there are that many other teams that can slip and slide, right? Um, so, you know, if you look at the test teams, like India and England, England's the only other one from a Anderson Broad top and top three batting um, situation. They've been fantastic since baseball. Uh, you know, I'm still going to need to see it for a longer period of time uh, before I'm like, you know, they've changed everything. There's still lots of issues within that team. Um, so, you know, but I think if I was betting, yeah, it's really weird actually between Australia and England. Now I think about it, I'm not even sure. Um, but South Africa would be my main concern. Australia would be my secondary concern. I mean, New Zealand would have been my concern a year and a half ago, so I would have been right on that one. Um, and my third concern uh, would be England, but less concerned than maybe the others. Uh, where are we? Ian says, the general age profile of the Bangladesh T20 side that beat England in the recent series is very young. 
over half their side under 25. That's a very Bangladesh thing to do, of course. Uh, with the proviso that they all seem suited to certain conditions, can this be a generation that really starts them challenging at global tournaments? So I'm a big Shanto fa- fan. I probably don't think he's going to be a T20 player going forward, but I do like him as a one-day player, and I'd be interested to see him play more. I know he's really struggled in international cricket so far, but he looks a lot better um, right at the moment anyway. I, I just like him as a player. Uh, Ridoy is another interesting player coming through. Mahedi Hassan getting some batting skill. I don't think he's ever going to be a top six batter, but if he can be a really strong number eight and occasional number seven, that gives him flexibility when Shakib disappears. Um, they've got, I think someone asked this question the other day, Ian, about their seamers. How many seamers Bangladesh have got are coming, uh, coming through at the moment? Tuscan looks really, really good since he's come back. Um, Ebeda is lo- still learning the game, but he's exa- I remember Jamie sitting this with two in England a couple of years ago, and he said, if there's anyone over six foot four who can bowl 85 miles an hour, please come down to the nets if you've got Bangladeshi parents or something along those lines. Anyway, it's a brilliant quote. And the reason was they weren't producing players like that at that stage. And you look at him and you're like, well, now, you know, they are starting to get those players through. There's a few other bowlers coming through as well. Obviously, they've still got the fizz as well. Finger spin isn't really a problem. I still think there may be a batter too light, but I like the current Bangladesh. I, I don't know how it translates to success in any f- particular format consistently, but I wonder if they won't be slightly better in all three formats, maybe in three to four years as these players start to develop. Um, there feels like there's an energy in Bangladesh cricket and an athleticism in Bangladesh cricket that we haven't seen before. But let's see. Manon says, what can we as a cricket-loving community do do to better the sport? Uh, there are some obvious changes that would improve cricket. It's the best way to promote associate cricket and just to watch and add views. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what ICC, what cricket boards around the world, what broadcasters are looking at is social media stuff, right? So if, if you're watching a random bit of cricket, whether it's be women's cricket or associates cricket, and you can jump on and put a hashtag on somewhere or, you know, uh, do a photo or whatever it may be um, of that sort of stuff, that's what the advertisers are looking for. That's what the streaming companies are looking for. It's, uh, you know, from that perspective, uh, giving a voice to the voiceless um showing that there are people watching this, that they are actually not just watching it, but engaged in watching it, I think is a probably a really good thing. Um, I'm trying to think what else you can do. Um, there are a lot of charities and cricket boards around the world that accept help from people. So if you can collect cricket gear, um, if you can collect you know, cricket balls, if you can collect um, books on cricket, um, if you could translate books on cricket to other languages in some cases, especially coaching manuals and things like that, a lot of cricket boards are looking for those sorts of that sort of help. Um, and you know, the, the more that the more that they can get, the better. And you know, Twitter is actually really good when it comes to associate cricket. Most of the you know smaller cricket boards have a presence there, and you can chat to them and do something from there. Will, how do you rate your talent spotting ability? Is there anyone you knew would be great before others realized or perhaps anyone you were sure would be a big thing but never made it? Well, there's certainly been heaps would be a big thing and never made made it. Um, I think where I would traditionally get more wrong is 
techniques. So I think I was a bit of a technique hawk when I was younger. So, you know, Simon Kadich coming back into the test team with that weird technique, Steve Smith coming in with a weird technique. So those two from an Australian perspective, I probably at that point would have said this can't work because it has never worked before. It's an actual fact. Both of them did make that work. Um, So uh, those are two obvious mistakes off the top of my head. I'm usually much better with bowlers. It's very, for, for me, I, I don't know why, but I kind of have the ability to see a bowler and see what their, I want to say USP is, but I, it's a shitty way of putting it, but I can see why batters are going to have trouble with them. And, and then you can see how they can be used correctly and how they can fit in. So if you go back to the very early, my very early writing, I basically picked Tim Southey and, and Ishan Sharma as future, you know, not 300 wicket takers probably, but I said that both of them should be around for 10, 10 years as frontline bowlers. Um, and Ishant made me work for that one, if we're being honest. Even Southie made me work for that one at times. Um, so I'm probably a lot more accurate when it comes to bowlers. Um, obviously, from a technique point of view, it's very easy for me to tell. I can When a young leg spinner gets picked, I can usually tell fairly accurately how long, how, you know, what kind of career they're going to have. But players develop as well. So... I would have thought that Kuldi fit a fairly normal pattern of left arm wrist spinners, and he did. But then he changed his game, and so you know it, it's very hard to say that um, that I was wrong about that. I thought Dawid Milan was really good when I saw him when he was younger. He made that incredible hundred um, when he was quite young. Um, I thought Liam Dawson was maybe slightly better than he was. Although maybe, maybe I thought he was roughly the, the level he was. Look, I think. I think for me, I'm looking for repeatable skills uh, and I'm looking for some sort of comp or an outlier that works because they're an outlier. And I'm also backing a lot of what I do on first-class cricket and patterns within first-class cricket. So for me, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really go back and evaluate it. It's not something that I've had to do professionally before. So I know with... I started doing it recently just to get a better idea of scouting and how it all works from my perspective. Um, And I certainly found it trying to look at a player even over, you know, one or two games and trying to come up with enough notes that would, you know, that I could look at in five years time and see where I was. Um, And I've started to look back at some of those notes. I think I was Cameron Green and Zach Crawley were two players. I was probably technically very, very, astute on um but Cameron Green started to fight through his so I think I think from the way I do it is probably different I'm not sitting there going oh that guy is oh actually do you know one of my big successes Will is Kima Roach when I said he um he could go on to be one of the best bowlers in the world he had the car accident not long after I said that um and he still came back to be an absolute phenomenal bowler um and I was also on the Neil Wagner train obviously before a few other people but I don't that's not how I really do things I'm more going what does this player do how does this player fit in at the moment you know what is their skill set and then I'm more tracking if how they add to their game or their game degrades over that time um so I don't think um but you know there are players you know come to think of it you know ben stokes joe root both come to mind i think i went on cricket info you know after roots innings at nagpur and i said that he would be batting for england for the next 10 years and um i think mark butcher and george rebel looked at me in shock that i was willing to make that claim 
I thought that Ollie Pope was more limited than everyone else did. Um, trying to think of some other players out there. Um, so yeah, I think I, so. I think from that perspective, um, I just don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm remembering the successes and the failures, but there's probably like all these bunches of players in the middles that that change around. I think the most important thing for me is not. I'm not trying to work out if they're going to be great or not great. That's not really how I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, does this person have a skill set that could keep them around for a long time? Do they have a skill set that will keep them around for a little time? But once that's found out, that won't work for them. Um, you know, that's what I'm really looking at. And I kind of focus more in on that. Um, I, I never really wanted to be a talent developer from that point of view. But I, I'd rather be the person who helps the players and just be like, okay, well, you can do this. If you can do this for 10 years, that's a career. How do we add this and this to it? Um, that, that for me is far more interesting. Uh, thanks for the Patreon questions. All right, let us get to the chat. Uh, so big thanks to, where is he? Blah, blah, who sent in a super chat. Remember, if you want your questions, 100% guaranteed, no questions asked, answered by Jared Kimber, that's me. Uh, put them in the super chat. Uh, blah, blah says, should a batter review for an LBW if not out if there is double umpire's call? Isn't there... Too much uncertainty for that point. Should a batter review for LBW result in a not out if there is a double umpire score? I'm really, really confused at your question there, blah, blah. If you want to uh, just explain it a little bit clearer in the comments, I'll uh, I'll have a look. But I'm not quite sure I understand. I don't want to answer it until I'm 100% sure what you mean by that. Um, but uh, thank you for the comment. Uh, Keshev says, is Daryl Mitchell an outlier in tests because he's averaging 20 more than his first-class average after 17 tests, which is a sizable amount of body of work to analyze? Uh, it is and it isn't. Um, Adam Voges, Mike Hussey, you know, we've had players do this before. So uh, I suppose you'd say they're all outliers. It's not that It's not that uncommon for a player who gets picked around that tw- sort of 27-28 period Um whose career has been getting better and better over time uh, to suddenly get to a point where they are, um, where they come in and they do very, very well to start with. I think I, I don't, I don't know him or anything, um, Daryl Mitchell, but, but I do think looking at the way he plays that he thinks really smart around cricket. He's got a method. My guess is that he hasn't had that method all the way through his career. And this sort of new style that he's come up with is working quite well for him. Um, but we would expect a regression at some point. I think he's better fantastically, but I, you do see occasionally players come in, you know, uh, Michael Vaughan was certainly one. Uh, we talked about Hussey, uh, you put Adam Voges in there. I'm trying to remember how old Jimmy Adams was when he came into international cricket. You do see players sometimes come in and they're just a bit more rounded. They've played a lot of first-class cricket. They know what their game is. They, you got to remember that making runs at first-class le- uh, at test level is sometimes easier than first-class level. In fact, it's almost always easier because in first-class pitches, the pitches are made for four days. So they're usually a little bit more helpful to bowlers. The pitches are generally not as good quality. Again, a little bit more helpful for bowlers. You don't have the same support stuff around you, helping you, training you, and everything else. So most test cricketers will tell you, most test batters will tell you, they find it easier at test level to bat than they do at first class level. That is just from that's not the bowl. That's not factoring the bowlers at test level. And and there's two there's two factors with the bowlers. The first one is that obviously there's no 
there's no easy first, second or third change bowlers in test cricket in the same way that there generally is in first class cricket. And um, you, the bowlers get to work you out over a long period of time because they continue to bowl to you. So I think from that perspective, um, overall, when you talk to players, they would quite often say it's just a little bit easier to to bat in test cricket. And you're you're not doing it, you know, think of someone like Daryl Mitchell or a lot of these other guys. Like I, I'm sure if you looked at his progression, he's a New Zealand player who could bowl a little bit. He probably played um, a little bit earlier than he should have, maybe when he wasn't quite ready. And that in first-class cricket, which actually drains your first-class average down sometimes. So what you end up seeing is a first-class player who, when they you see them in test cricket and they're averaging 40, and you're sitting there going, well, this guy's 27. How is he only averaging 40? He looks fantastic. But you're forgetting that he might have started at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, when he wasn't ready to be playing at that level of cricket. But because he was so talented, he was put in and and he struggled to find, uh, you know, the ability to make consistent runs at that point. By the time you're seeing Daryl Mitchell, he's a machine. Have a look at the way he uses his feet to seam bowlers. It's even unlike the England players. I, th- I think he's come down the wicket the most to um, uh, bowlers anywhere in the world. Sorry, I, th- I think this is right. I think I've got a video coming out about this shortly. The Daryl Mitchell plays an almost completely different brand of cricket to everyone else in world cricket that is hard if he's tall uh he is um strong and he's coming down the crease which means whatever length you're trying to bowl to him you can't bowl to him at the moment teams will work out a way to bowl better to him uh over time england probably never want to see him again at this point but right at the moment he's on top of everyone else because he's playing a very different kind of of cricket and uh I, I, he's a fantastically interesting cricketer from that perspective. I mean, he's an outlier in that he's averaging more at test level than he is at first class level, but that is not as big an outlier as you would think it is because, as I said, there are a lot of guys who were picked around that 27, 28, 29, 30 period. And they quite often average more at test level than they do at first class level, and that's because they're picked when they're at their absolute peak. Uh, Yuvishant says, should Sri Lanka continue to play a spinner tomorrow in Wellington considering it's a green pitch? I'm not there. I can't answer that. I still think that in New Zealand, you want a spinner regardless of a green pitch just because there there can be moments at certain grounds, and I'm not sure if Wellington is one of them off the top of my head, but there can be moments at certain grounds where the game just stagnates a little bit. And I don't think you want to run all your seamers into the ground. And I think having a spin option, especially for Sri Lanka, where it's a strength, is a perfectly fair thing to do. Also, I I, I do worry about teams who go overseas into conditions that don't suit them and go away from their strengths too much. I mean, to be fair, at the moment, Sri Lanka does have a lot of good seam bowling. But I, I always worry about that because you're – you're really taking away from your identity as a team. Um, and I'm not sure it works as much as people think it does. Joe says, in ODI cricket, why don't teams take Rajasthan Royals approach on tough pitches and send in blockers for the middle overs? Could see England do this with Rashid and Wokes to save someone like Livingston. The main reason is, is that Livingston is probably a better batter than Rashid or Wokes on a tough pitch as well. I think in Rajasthan Royals' particular case, where they have a player who's a very good player of spin in spinning conditions, you have someone who is available to do that. 
I'm not sure that Rashid or Wokes is a better player of, you know, any particular bowling than Livingston is to be able to do that. We've seen it before, though. It's not – if you're thinking Rajasthan is new, it's not new. Imran Khan used to do it. Um, uh, Andy McBride has done it for Ireland. I've got a list of it. There's a video I did about it called The Pinch Blocker, Joe. You can go and have a look at it. It's a fairly old strategy. The reason people don't do it is because those players do t- stand t- – they, they get stuck, and when they're in – so let's say you send Livingston in and you say to Livingston, mate, just get to 20 off 30. And then after that, um, you can you can bat normally once you feel comfortable. You know, Imran Khan and Andy McBride and those sorts of pinch blockers don't have that ability. Whereas I think the thought with Ashram was he could still clatter some sixes against the spinners, so he wouldn't clog you know clog it up. Also, in Ashwin's case, he was willing to step on his own sword right and leave the ground. Not all players are like that. Uh, Zach says the Australia Ray Tour next. Oh. Zach says, the Australia Ray Tour next month will give us a great look at the Australian fast bowling stocks. Perry, Bartlett, Agar, and Johnson are all going to be playing. They're all quicks around the age of 25. So here's the thing, Zach. You're right. I think that, you know, um, I've seen a little bit of Perry. Uh, Agar's obviously been around for a while now. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen the other. I'm sure I've seen them, but I'm not sure if I have any notes on them anyway. Um, however, what I would say is this. That is a very different situation to what you had where – Hazelwood at what 19 everyone thought was absolutely great Cummins at 18 everyone thought was great Stark at 20 everyone thought was great Pattinson at 18 everyone thought was great that the hype around those four was completely justified there's a big difference a big drop off between that and what we're seeing now um even someone like Morris the the last the last Australian bowl I thought that was I suppose Jai Richardson and Billy Stanlake uh, you know, Stan Lake obviously just couldn't do what he was, unfortunately, incredibly naturally gifted to be able to do. He just couldn't do it um, the way that he should have. Um, and Jai Richardson, very similar, but more to do with injuries rather than, you know, the, perhaps his skill level. I just think when you're looking at that list there, I'm not saying that there aren't really good bowlers, but it feels like that's a massive drop off from Hazelwood, who is an absolute phenomenal line and length merchant from Pat Cummins, who combines accuracy and pace at a level that we'd never seen before, and Mitchell Stark bowling, being a springy left arm bowler who can bounce you out, york you out, um, and and is genuinely quick. Those are those were incredible, and you know Pattinson, at one stage probably had the best Test record out of all of those players, and we never got to see him. Um, I wonder, you're talking about 25-year-olds. We were hearing about those guys when they're 18 and 19 as the next best thing in Australian cricket. I don't feel that this particular uh, group that you're talking about is quite on that level. But that doesn't mean that they can't all join together. And, um, you know, there's others there that we've talked about, you know, Cameron Green, you've got Hardy as well. Uh, You've got Lance Morris. Um, There's certainly some interesting players coming through. You've got, you know, um, whatever James Sutherland's son's name is, Will Sutherland. So, you know, another all-rounder. So there's a few players with some all-round skills coming through. So there's interesting players coming through, but I'm not sure there's that same hype. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. What happens to Australia when they don't have three generational bowlers in one bowling attack? Yash says, has any tournament ever experimented with increasing the max number of overs a bowler can bowl in white ball cricket, like 12 overs um, in a 50-over game? So I don't know if you know this, but Obviously, one-day cricket used to be 55 overs and 60 overs. Um, so certainly, they were bowling more than 10 overs back in those days. Uh, Australia did it with their domestic competition. 
I want to say around 2008, 2009, they did a lot of experimentation. They split it up into two innings. Uh, was it even two innings? It was like half, half um, two innings. It was absolutely appalling, whatever they did. And it didn't work. It was stupid. Um, and they allowed you to use four bowlers for a maximum of 12 overs each. I think that's right. Was it three overs for 12 overs each? I'd have to go back and check. But yeah, they did it. Um, I think it's a great idea for one day cricket. I don't think we will ever see it. And I think the reason that we will never see it now is because bowlers are not going to want to bowl more than 10 overs a day um, coming up towards T20 cricket. I still like the idea of taking away bowling limits um, in some games. I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens if Rashid Khan or Jasper Bumra can bowl 10 overs each, you know, more like baseball pitchers. Uh, and then have some relief bowling available to you, you know, um, some specialist bowling. Maybe have Kuldeep Yadav in your attack, and who else would we have? And you know, Mujib uh, could be an interesting one, or Benny Hal, or you know, someone random as your sort of backup rogue bowler. But you're just like, yeah, but we're going in with two main bowlers, and then we've got Cameron Green in our side and Shardul in our side, so they can get through a couple if they have to. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. Is my guess. Although if I was a, if I was a top line bowler, I think if you talk to bowlers now, they probably say, oh, we don't want that." But if I was a top line bowler, I'd be like, "You're saying I can bowl sixty balls a game? That means I'm going to be worth a lot of money." I'd be thinking about it from that perspective. Um, but I don't believe they are at the moment. Uh, I certainly haven't talked to anyone um, thinking that way. Charlie says, "If you cloned all rounders to play against themselves, which all rounders would have success?" Uh, against themselves with the bat. Uh, so Ben Stokes would love facing Ben Stokes the bowler. There's one for you. And which would dominate themselves with the ball. I would love to see Jadeja face himself on a fifth-day pitch with some foot marks in. And I suppose you could throw Shakib into that one as well. Um, would Jason Holt? No, because Jason Holder's pace probably isn't that high. I'm trying to think going back. I think Callis would probably laugh at Callis the bowler because he'd just be bowling wide half volleys and he'd leave four of them in a row and maybe stroke the one that's slightly overpitched for four um, and then leave the last one and sit there and do nothing um, as a batter. Who else have we got? Some of the great all-rounders. I reckon Flintoff would have bothered – Flintoff the bowler would have bothered Flintoff the batter. I think that's a really interesting uh, combination. Don't think Chris Cairns would have been too worried about Chris Cairns, the bowler, trying to go back. I think Brian McMillan would have been fine against Brian McMillan, the bowler. Lance Klusner would have loved facing Lance Klusner, the bowler. <laughs> um, I reckon Shane Watson, the bowler, would have been really awkward for Shane Watson, the batter. There's a good one for you. I think that would have been that would have been awkward. Um, could you imagine Ashwin versus Ashwin? <laughs> In fact. If I had, if we had a proper animation team, I reckon I would almost animate an over between Ashwin the bowler and Ashwin the batter. It would be absolutely hilarious. Imagine the amount of hijinks both of them would be playing. And if you had Ashwin as the non-striker as well, you could throw in the man cats. It would be absolutely brilliant. Um, I think Keith Miller, the bowler, probably gets Keith Miller, the batter, who are the, some of the other great all-rounders. Um Imran Khan, the bowler, would have been frustrated by Imran Khan, the batter, but I think he goes through him. Uh, Kapil Dev, the bowler, probably knocks over Kapil Dev, the batter. Both of them's a really, really interesting one. You got two incredibly, you know, an attacking style of bowler, attacking style of batter. I'm not really sure who comes out on top there. You kind of think that the 
both in the batter would smash a couple of fours and sixes before getting a short half uh, half tracker and hitting it straight to point. Uh, all the things cinema says, if you are Kyle Verena, would you take getting dropped after being consistent since QDK retired? Um, how would you take getting dropped? Sorry. Uh, because the new coach gets along with Klassen more. Yeah, it seems like a really stupid decision to me. I like Heinrich Klassen. But Verena is quite clearly a next level. I, I, I think Verena should be a player who should play a long period of time for South Africa and average between, let's say, 33 and 38 with the bat. And I'm kind of saying minimum on that. That's kind of where my where I kind of think his best case scenario is. But I think he could average low 40s with the bat, you know, maybe not quite at Rashad Pant level, but around that. Um, I don't think there's many situations where he ends up with a sub-30 average in test cricket if he plays 50 matches, for instance. Heinrich Klaassen, what's your best case scenario there? Is it two solid years? Uh, he's getting on in age. He, you know, he's always going to, I think, be tempted to go off to T20 cricket. I don't. I didn't really get that when I first saw it. I, I haven't done a video on it or anything because I haven't looked into all the different details of it. But oh, sorry, got the wrong question up here. Uh, but it, it confuses me. I suppose is the best way of putting it. It's not. It's not how I would do things. That's for sure. Uh, let me just get to the end. Blah blah. Just he asked the question before, and he just wanted to reclarify this. Um, he says uh, by double umpire's call, I meant umpire's call on both impact and hitting the stumps. So what a batter. I'm, so I'm just going to put this all together in my head. Blah blah. So a batter is batting, and he has been given not out. I think that was your original question. Should a batter review for an LBW result? Uh, if there is a double umpire's call, um, yeah, don't. Uh, so, meaning that there's an umpire's call on both impact and hitting the stumps. Oh, okay, okay. I think I, I think I see what you're saying. You're saying if a batter is facing um, and he gets an LBW against him, and there is a umpire's call on the impact. So let's say it hits him just on top on, on the line of off stump. Um, and it, you know, it could have gone either way. So it was umpire's call and then it's spinning and it's hitting just the outside of leg stump as well. Um, should it go in the batter's favor? It's a very, very good question. My, my first thought is probably still no. Um, but I can understand why it is probably, I, I might pass this on to some of my, uh, um, I might pass this on to some of my, uh, nerdy, uh, fellow laws and rules people and uh, to run it by them to see what they think. But my first thought is no, it's been given out on the field um, and it's very close on two different decisions. And I think that's enough to give that out. Um, but I also see probably why you're asking this question is, well, we're willing to give umpires call once that's fair, but are we willing to give umpires call twice when it's that close? Um, yeah. I don't know. Is that, it's a it's a fascinating question, but what I'll do, blah blah. Now I understand it. I will try and write it down so that I understand it better, and so other people can. I'll run it by some friends and see what we think about it, and uh, and have a go. But fascinating question. And shout out to Gautam, uh, Gautam Dash, uh, who sent through a super chat as well. Uh, big thanks to everyone uh, for coming on again today, and uh, asking questions. Some really really fascinating, interesting questions there. 
got the bodyline t-shirt on uh the skull and crossbones with a cricket bat and cricket stump pretty tasty stuff there uh so if you do want any of the bodyline t-shirts feel free to um have a look at some of the other ones uh, as well there's some uh there's some f- fantastic t-shirts over there i was just having a look there's some really good capital dev ones actually i don't have a capital dev t-shirt in my in my locker at the moment um but i am thinking about adding some capital dev stuff going ahead uh, remember, help us out with Manscaped, but most importantly, Patreon, buy me a coffee, and anytime you can do any super chats in the future would be absolutely great. In fact, Gautam's just sent through. He might have meant to do this all in one, but they've come up in two separate things. But he says, what are your predictions for India-Australia lineups for the World Test Championship final? Uh, does Shardul, Renshaw, Hanscom, Ashwin feature? I don't think Hanscom will play. I don't think Renshaw will play. I do think Ashwin will play. I would. I would not pick shuttle but i suppose it is the oval we're gonna have to have a look at what the surface is like and everything else um at that point as well um uh yeah i think i think from that perspective it's um it's worth having i I always think ashwin and i'm but i I think we're gonna have to look at that pitch i think it's really fascinating because you could kind of like a striker take lance morris and Swepson and all like you could really it's a one-off test but you could take like a huge bunch of players and really be reactionary to the pitch if you wanted to be and perhaps even what the opposition is going to do um so yeah i think it is very very interesting from that perspective um but yeah that's the end here today really uh michael um thanks for the latest podcast uh, i think he's talking about the one where i talk about the players and eating food I think that's all he's talking about. Um, uh, but thank you, Michael, for that comment. And thank you, Gautam, for the super chat. Remember, support us. Press the bell icon, share, like, subscribe, tell people, buy things for us. You know, whatever you can. The more you do, the more we will be here, or I will be here in this case. But I'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week, and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Podcast Network.